Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Aesthetic Surgery Journal Open Forum Podcast. These podcasts are freely accessible on Apple Podcasts and ASJ Open Forum website internationally and represent the highest standard in aesthetic surgery education. I'm your moderator, Dr. Mark Albert, and I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon in private practice in New York. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Steve Fagan, author of the recent ASJ Open Forum article entitled, Lower Lid Blepharoplasty with Lateral, Retinacular, and Orbicularis Suspension. Dr. Fagan, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. So if you don't mind to start, just tell us a little bit about yourself and about your practice. Well, again, thank you. Uh, I've been in uh, surgical practice here in Boca Raton, Florida uh, since 1988. I started out as most oculoplastic surgeons doing reconstructive and cosmetic, obviously much more focused on reconstructive. Uh, and then I kind of found my niche in aesthetics and the blepharoplasty really traditionally has been unchanged if, in many ways over the years. And I saw a need for advancing the, the surgery, advancing the science, looking at aging and uh, and that's kind of how it started. And I got into aesthetics. I, as you know, I published uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, articles in, in a lot of the peer reviewed journals and, and right. started looking critically at what we do. And, and so I've been doing this now since 1988 and uh, enjoying it now more than ever. Well, we definitely appreciate all of your contributions. As far as this paper, what prompted you to, to write the manuscript? I wrote the uh, original retinacular suspension uh, article and, and kind of uh, algorithm for canthoplasty and PRS many years ago. And, and a lot of my colleagues, our friends said, look, why don't you give an update? Where are you now? What's changed since you started doing the procedure? And, uh, you know, give us some of the nuances that you've learned over the years. So that prompted, uh, you know, let's do a, a, a kind of an open forum in ASJ. And, and that's how it got started. Great. So as far as the, the actual paper, what would you say are the, the main, I mean, there are so many really, really amazing details um, in the paper. What would you say are some of the main take-homes that you want to get us across to the readers? Well, you know, people question particular components of the procedure and you, you can titrate uh, this type of retinacular canthoplasty uh, based on the patient's needs and their orbital morphology. And I think that's what's key is understanding how the procedure works, on which patients you might vector in a different direction, um, in which patients that frankly need it. And, and I think in, in a majority of cases uh, where you're doing anything to the skin and muscle, that you need some sort of canthal support. And I wanted to develop a simplified kind of suture canthopexy, some people will call it, but really is a restabilization of the lateral canthus. Right. So how, if you don't mind me asking specifically, so how, and I know this is detailed in a lot of your papers, but for those who haven't read them, how is, how is your technique different than a traditional canthopexy? Well, a canthopexy and most pexies and anywhere in, in the body are, are suture suspensions and a simple suture suspension in many ways is not that effective. Um, and be, and one of the reasons is in, in mobile areas, like areas in the periorbit and the orbicularis, if you just do a simple suture suspension, it's going to wind up cheese wiring and not be very effective. Uh, a lot of the criticisms of canthoplasty in general 
are that, oh, well, you change the shape of the eye permanently. And that's not the purpose of retinacular suspension. The purpose of the procedure is to reinforce the lateral canthus, as well as how much tightening and reinforcement you're doing to the skin and muscle. So I don't want to, and the intention of the procedure is not to change it, is to reinforce it. And you do it through existing incisions uh, rather than doing a canthotomy, which is the classic way of doing a canthoplasty where tarsal strip procedures, which I think in many ways, probably most high level aesthetic blepharoplasty surgeons have abandoned because of their long-term aesthetic negative effects. And we don't wanna horizontally shorten these patients lids long-term. And by doing a suspension, basically getting them over the healing period, resupporting the lateral commissure and allowing you to tighten skin and muscle without really long-term affecting the shape. And again, that's what patients fear. It's what critics of the procedure talk about is, are you changing these patients long-term? And the answer is no. You're keeping them supported during the healing phase. And it, uh, the difference between a suture canthopexy and retinacular suspension, the key is, and you can see on the video, is the release. When you release orbicularis from the superficial head of the lateral cantal tendon, you separately suspend the superficial head of the tendon, which is essentially the retinacular canthopexy. But then you're also, uh, the second reinforcement step of the procedure is suspending orbicularis. So you have two ways of supporting the lid posture of the lower eyelid. And I, I also noticed that you, as part of the video, you show a tarsorophy suture. Is that something you do in every case or only in certain circumstances? I would say in the majority of the cases, I'll do a, a temporary suture tarsorophy. And again, that is another belt and suspenders type nuance of the procedure that I've learned does a few things. One, when you reduce the exposure, you limit the onset of chemosis, which I think is key in a lot of your patients. Doesn't mean you won't get it, but you reduce the severity and potentially can avoid the onset of chemosis. Secondly, you have that second or third, essentially, opportunity to position the eyelid margin. Sometimes you'll do a canthopexy and it's not exactly what you want. You don't wanna take it down, but you know the lid margin you're afraid might evert. You have a chance with, this, with the tarsorophy to place that lid margin in apposition to the uh, opposing lid. So you keep that lid margin right at the position you want to. So I use that suture tarsorophy as a belt and suspenders to reinforce, again, the, the eyelid position, as well as limit the onset of chemosis. That's really interesting and really helpful to hear. I haven't heard that before. Um, so, you know, as, as far as takeoffs from the article, where do you think we go from here? And for you, you know, are there any surgical techniques or maneuvers that you see yourself needing to change in the future? Or what are your thoughts moving forward? Well, what I've learned, Mark, is I've just gotten better on patient selection. And, and as we talked about the nuances of the procedure, knowing where to vector. In other words, uh, how high you want to place the canthus to protect them from lid malposition postoperatively. So without a canthopexy, if you're doing any skin and muscle work, you are going to get some measurable degree of eyelid malposition or lid retraction. And again, the purpose is, is to position the commissure and reinforce it 
So during the healing phase, because remember, you develop chemosis and a lot of lid swelling, and that's temporary. The problem is, and you also get some denervation. People talk about denervation like it doesn't happen. It does happen. The, the, the good news is denervation tends to resolve. The problem is the eyelid malposition that occurs during denervation may have a long-lasting effect. So again, that's the purpose of the tarsorophy. It's the purpose of how you vector. It's why I do the procedure to begin with. So what I've learned over many years is how to vector this to pace, depending on the patient's orbital morphology. If they're enophthalmic and have really deep set eyes, you don't want to superplace them because they don't have that the global force that tends to want to pull down your canthal suture. And they wind up being over-elevated for a long period of time. On the opposite side of the spectrum, someone with a negative vector and a, a prominent globe, you might want to superplace them as well as put a nice secure suture tarsorophy in to protect that eyelid position. So those are the extremes and most of the patients are somewhere in the middle, but I've learned how to vector the, the suspension suture and how I exit through the upper lid incision. Now people will do a canthopexy sometimes through the upper eyelid and that's fine. And I think it works fairly well. The advantage of doing retinacular suspension through the lower eyelid is you wanna place your sutures deep into the orbital rim. It's very difficult through an upper lid incision to position the superficial head of the cantal tendon with this suspension suture internal to the lateral orbital rim. Because remember, the eyelid needs to wrap around the globe. And when you do it from the upper eyelid, it's much more difficult to get that positioning to the internal aspect of the lateral orbital rim just above Wittenhall's tubercle. So I've, and again, the ability to then vector depending on orbital morphology, you have much more flexibility when you're doing it through the lower eyelid. Wow. I, I wish we could spend all night discussing this. And for the listeners, I really, really encourage you to look up this article, watch the video, read the article, go back, watch the video again. There are just so many incredible learning points um, from this material. Dr. Fagan, thank you so, so much for the time tonight and for all the efforts in the paper and the video. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mark. I enjoyed uh, talking with you tonight. Appreciate it. And for everyone else, we look forward to seeing you at the next Aesthetic Surgery Journal Open Forum podcast and have a great day.